0: Hello and welcome to Ask the Expert, a daily series from 8.30am to 9am to help small businesses. You can ask me any questions in the comments or by using the hashtag QBATE on Twitter. If you need any more advice, you can join the official Intuit QuickBooks SMB community group on Facebook. Accountants and business experts are on hand 24-7. QuickBooks also have a dedicated information site to help you coming out of lockdown. Just go to the QuickBooks website, scroll down a little bit, and click on the big Learn More button under the header Support for You and Your Business During COVID 19. Hello, and I'm Toby Meldon, and I'm a diversity and inclusion consultant, and I'm author of the best selling book, Inclusive Growth. Um, And um, some of my recent clients have been working with Sony looking at unconscious bias within decision-making. I've also been working with HarperCollins Publishing on becoming a disability-confident employer, and then also working with the online retailer, AO, helping them develop uh, an inclusive growth strategy. So I first got involved in diversity and inclusion when I was working for the BBC. When I came out of university, I worked in, I had a career working in technology. I was an IT consultant for Accenture, I worked in healthcare technology, and then I worked for many years as a technical project manager at the BBC. And I was working in our technology department, and I was reporting into our chief operating officer. And he was really concerned at the time that um, the the technology department of the BBC was uh, very male-dominated. So I worked with him to create our gender balance action plan. And... um, that's when I first started getting involved in diversity and inclusion I then moved into uh, radio uh, so I could look at diversity on the airwaves and then after that I decided to go back to the corporate sector where I worked for Deloitte um I was attracted to Deloitte because uh they, they had much more of a focus on culture change um than um than we did at the BBC so I normally work with with big uh, organizations and medium-sized enterprises, but when I was writing an article for uh, chief executives of um, small to medium-sized enterprises, um, I came across a really interesting statistics from the Department for Business, Energy, and Industrial Strategy. And they said the SMAs account for 99.9% of the business population. 99.3% of these businesses employ up to 49 employees. And 0. 0. 0.6 account for businesses that employ up to 250 employees. So that's a massive proportion of organisations in the UK um, that are considered small to medium sized enterprises. Now, only 0.1% of businesses employing more than 250 people, which interestingly is the kind of the tipping point for um, uh, reporting on the gender pay gap, they only account for 0.1% of businesses in the UK. So it got me thinking that the, the small and medium sized uh, enterprise sector has such a huge uh, impact uh, on or can have such a huge impact on the diversity and inclusion of, uh, employee, of people in the UK. So the, I wrote the book Inclusive Growth because um, I, I noticed a number of organisations kind of taking a few missteps in trying to increase their inclusivity um, when they're trying to divest their workforce. And some of the missteps that I saw were that organisations were treating diversity and inclusion a bit like a a box ticking exercise, or that it was treated as a marketing activity to increase their profile. But actually, there wasn't enough emphasis placed on the the culture of the organisation. The other misstep that I noticed was that um, organisations were not really treating diversity and inclusion as like a change management activity Um, and what what that means is that those organizations were not um, necessarily understanding the impact of diversity on the workplace Um, so they weren't they were implementing lots of activity but they weren't really uh, conscious or aware or able to measure the impact that that was having uh, on the organization the other kind of misstep that I saw organizations um, taking was that uh, they were treating it as uh, basically it was seen as the, res- the responsibility of only the HR department. Um, I spoke to one of my clients who calls this the kind of the rhetoric down in that organizations put in for loads of awards. Um, but what they don't re- um, they, they kind of put in for loads of awards to try and uh, increase their profile but they're not really placing enough emphasis on the on the culture of the on the business, so um what they're not doing is they're not treat, so h r is taking the lead um and they're not really um the the responsibility of diversity and inclusion is not really shared across the whole of the organization so for example, uh you know you might want to get your marketing department involved in terms of advertising in diverse and inclusive ways to reach a a wider audience. You might want to get your procurement team involved so that you can ensure that you work with a diverse range of suppliers. Um, The thing is, you don't actually need a big budget to increase your diversity and inclusion. So some of the ways that you can get started is first of all, understand how diversity and inclusion enables your business to grow. And this is why I wrote the book Inclusive Growth as a way of reframing diversity and inclusion. Um so it was uh you need to reframe diversity and inclusion. So it, it's seen as an enabler of growth for your organization. Um and um that can help you reach new markets. We know with, that with greater diversity, it enables uh you have better decision making. And um uh, you get greater creativity. So the the second thing you can do is listen to your employees. And you can do this through surveys. You can do this through listening groups or focus groups. But what you want to understand is you want to understand their day-to-day experiences. Um, because you want to try and identify uh, in any kind of employee experiences, any speed humps or roadblocks, that is slowing them down or preventing them from completing a particular journey. So, for example, take your recruitment process. If you, have, um, if you insist that everybody has a face-to-face interview, that could be difficult for, say, somebody who's autistic. Um, or if you have an application form that's not accessible, that could be difficult for, say, somebody who's blind uh, to be able to complete it. So think about any speed humps or roadblocks that prevent people from completing a journey. And lastly, find ways of getting your whole business involved. Um, don't just leave it to your HR department. So, you know, try and encourage all of your employees to get involved by setting up forums or communities. But as I said earlier, try to get all of the key departments involved so that it just doesn't uh, uh, rest on the shoulders of the HR department. So, we've got some questions um, coming through now. Um, so, the first question, Um, we've got is from Pratiksha on Twitter, a direct message on Twitter. Um, They say, hi, Toby. Um, Hi, happy to to see you. Happy to see you as part of the Ask the Expert. We own a software company. We're a growing team with 30 employees where we always try and look for the right person for the role, but we often see a certain type of person that applies. Are there any ways of attracting talent from all the backgrounds and lifestyles? That's a really really good question um I think any organization you do you do tend to see uh, a certain type of person coming forward for those roles um it could be down to the you know your your employer brand that you're you're putting out into the marketplace to um that that kind of is attractive to certain certain types of people um one of the best ways of doing it is, is really looking at the kind of the way that you do outreach or try and increase your amount of outreach that you do. <clears throat> so I'll give you an example. When I was at the BBC in the technology department, um, we were looking at our, our data of people going through the recruitment process. And what we found is that we, when we broke the recruitment process down into different stages, um, we didn't see a lot of bias happening within the recruitment process itself. But we just didn't see enough women coming forward for the, the technology roles at the BBC. So like software engineers or um um developers and that kind of thing. So what we um what we did is we did a lot of outreach. So we create we we ran a series of events called um well it we we were called they were called women in technology conferences. So they were either half day conferences or or there were only a couple of hours long so we used to alternate them (laughs) and that was our way of attracting talent so we would run it during these conferences we would run lots of master classes we used to do a kind of um we called it the marketplace but where we had hiring managers meeting with potential candidates um just explaining the roles the work that they do in their team Um, and it was a way of matching up candidates with those managers and when we identified um Really good people. We would then put them forward to the recruitment process, um, and then they would have to go through the usual recruitment process and all the interview stages and things like that. So that's one way of doing it: is to re- really increase your your outreach. The other way, the other the other thing um, that you might just want to be mindful of is the language that you're using in your job applications or your your job adverts. So we do we know that there's very gendered uh, language. which which can attract or detract people with masculine or feminine traits. So if you use masculine language, like, you know, you're a go-getter, you know, you're looking for uh, uh, Jira gurus and that kind of thing, we know that that's very masculine language and that can turn off some people. So there's a really good app called Textio, which is T-E-X-T dot I-O. And you paste your job ad or your, your um, yeah, you paste your job ad and your job description, and it will start to identify that, that masculine and, and feminine language. It will also pick up on other things like, are you using too many buzzwords? Um, is the job ad too long so people don't really get to the bottom to click on the Apply Now button? It's a really good tool, and I believe that they do a, a free 30-day trial for you to test it out. So thanks for your question. Um, so i got another question from Renata on Twitter. So uh, the question is, uh, morning, Toby. If we have a member of staff within our company that we feel is not behaving inclusively, perhaps unintentionally, how do you feel is the best way to go about talking to that employee to change their ways? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Um, I think partly it needs to be done in a couple of stages. I think within your organisation, you do need to set the expectations about what you consider to be inclusive or non-inclusive behaviours. Again, you can do that in a number of ways. Um, you, know, you can, you, for example, you could create a, uh, a leadership charter. So, a leadership charter could be a list of um, kind of re, you know inclusive behaviours that you expect of people. Uh, In your organization. So, in 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 somewhere that I worked before, we had a leadership charter. Now, we considered a leader to be somebody who might be quite new to the firm, who uh, maybe was responsible for leading a couple of people on the team, and they were quite junior in the team, or perhaps they were a senior manager in the organization responsible for two or three thousand people. So, both were considered leaders. But we came up with a very simple set of inclusive leadership behaviors. Now, what, what the good thing about having that written down is that you can then get, have a quite an honest and frank conversation with that individual to say, look, you know, as an organisation, we've agreed these inclusive leadership behaviour traits. Um, we've noticed that you know you're not really living up to these inclusive leadership traits. Um, you know, can we can we please explore that? It might be that they're just not aware, and that they might actually be quite embarrassed by that, and they and they change their ways. Um, if they don't, then you might have to kind of take more formal action, or get your HR people involved to to help you out. But having a leadership charter is really useful, and you can start to bake that into things like if you do your if you do annual reviews with people, for example, you can get um, you can do three hundred and sixty degree feedback where you get people within a team. This is really good for managers. You can get um, team members assessing their manager against those inclusive leadership um traits or qualities um so got another question here from um liz from instagram so um liz says hi toby what are your thoughts around the gender pay gap do you feel it's going in the right direction so i think the the gender pay gap is has been really really um, really really important for businesses um for a lot of organizations that I've worked with and some of my clients, it was the gender pay gap that has really got the ball rolling on diversity and inclusion within the organization. Up until then, they didn't really necessarily have that kind of accountability baked into the business because they didn't have to report on it. What's really interesting now with the gender pay gap is that we're about three or four years into it, and there's three or four data points that tell a story. So... Effectively, in in kind of simplistic storytelling sense, you've got a beginning, a middle and an end. And organisations are now having to kind of think about the narrative that goes along with these three data points that they're they're having to report on. You know, I I do welcome any government conversations um, and legislation change around introducing other things like the ethnicity pay gap. There's a bit of a mixed bag. You know, I work with some organisations where they're closing the gender pay gap. And obviously, that's that's a good positive sign for them. Um, and unfortunately, I'm aware of businesses where the gender pay gap is is widening still. So I think the jury's still out. Um, you know, I look at it on a company by company basis. Um, I really, I think those companies that are closing the gender pay gap, you know, I really do support them. Um, and I really hope that businesses, um, you know, take more action going forwards um, to try and close the gender pay gap. Um, so I've got uh, a question from yeah, Simon from Facebook Messenger. So Simon says, um, do you think white men will get unfairly overlooked in order to hit quotas? Shouldn't the best person for the job apply rather than having to be a female, black or disabled? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a really, really interesting point, And it's a question that I get quite a lot. First of all, the question is about the difference between quotas and targets. So quotas are basically an, a goal that an organization sets with some penalty. And I don't believe that's a good way of um, really spurring on positive uh, you know, change in action because um, you know, you're right, Simon, that it has to be the best person that gets the job. And we have to be really careful that you don't positively discriminate because that is um, unlawful. So positive, dis- um, positive action is slightly different in that, what you can do is you can take steps to try and level the playing field. So, one thing I didn't mention, for example, in my introduction, is that I I was born with a rare neuromuscular disability, um, and so I've been in a wheelchair from uh, since about the age of two or three. Um, and you know, I've had my fair share of um, discrimination in the workplace. Um, so, you know, for example, when I was fresh out of university. Uh, I was working with one organisation where um, the client actually banned me from their office because they said that I was a fire risk. So a lot of that, um, a lot of that has informed the work that I'm doing around diversity and inclusion. The other thing is I'm also a white man. I mean, I tick other boxes in that you know I'm I'm gay uh, and I've got a physical disability. Um, but you're right; the right person should be getting the job, and I think it's it can be quite dangerous territory because. I wrote an article actually recently for a, for a publication um saying that actually diversity includes everybody and that includes white straight men um, because there is this fear that um, you know some you could be overtaken um, through positive action um, and when i when I do introductions to diversity inclusion workshops for my clients um one of the things I say is diversity includes everybody and actually we should be fo- we should be focusing on inclusion rather than diversity, because diversity is a given. Within the UK, we're a very diverse nation. Um, the, the talent pools that you can draw on are, are very diverse. So diversity is there, it's a given. However, inclusion is a choice, whether we choose to include or exclude um, certain individuals. So I, I, I think it's important that organizations set targets because without setting uh, kind of objectives or goals, you don't know whether you're making any progress or not. You don't know if you're going north or south. Um, and interestingly, I read an article this morning that said, you know, targets without a date, is just a conversation. So make sure you set a date with alongside your goals or your targets. Um, but you're right. It's always the best person that, that should get the job. Um, so I've got a question here from uh, Chris from Facebook Messenger. so how can small businesses improve diversity inclusion and open the minds up to employees who may have never heard uh never had diversity or, or inclusion training So I think with small businesses it's really important because often with the small businesses um the kind of you, you you've got a you know you're, you're, you're a close-knit team, um, and you uh, you, know, you might have a very um, charismatic leader or chief executive or founder of that organization. And I do really think that it's the responsibility of that chief executive or the founder of that small business to really fly the flag for diversity and inclusion. So one thing that they can do is that the, the founder or the chief exec of that small business First of all, needs to understand why it's important to their business. Um, now, the way that I've positioned this is that it's all about inclusive growth. Um, and the book that I wrote goes into that in a lot more detail. But it's a, re- it's a way of reframing diversity inclusion that it's not just the right thing to do or a box ticking exercise or a way of increasing your kind of marketing profile or your PR profile, that actually it's really important to the growth of your business. It helps you reach new customers. It helps you increase empathy with those customers who are quite naturally um, most businesses have a diverse customer base. Um, and um, so, first of all, the Chief of tech needs to get very clear on why diverse inclusion is important to the growth of the business. And if if you're if if you're interested in kind of data and statistics, it's worth reading the McKinsey reports. So they've now created three reports which are quite famous. Uh, which is proving the business case for diversity. Um, And they've just released a brand new report last month, which is worth a reading. And what they've said is, again, they've shown that diverse businesses outperform more homogenous businesses. So in terms of profitability and market share and things like that. So once the chief exec or the founder is clear on why diversity inclusion is important to the business, they can then inspire and engage the rest of the workforce to try and get them uh, on the same page. Um, you can do training, things like that, but I think actually what really, really goes a long way in any business, whether you're a huge organization employing hundreds of thousands of people or whether you're a small business employing 10 people, um, I think what's really important is that the chief executive is very clear on why diversity and inclusion is important for the business. Um, so I've got a question here from... So I'm just scrolling down the list. I've um, got a question here from, Balaj from uh on Twitter. Um, so it says, do you think things get too focused on one area depending on what is culturally hot? Not enough women was a hot topic for a long time. Now Black Lives Matter is hot. I feel like Indian men like me who were born here can't speak up and are left by the side. What's your view on this? Yeah. Yeah, thank you for your question. This is a really, really good point, actually. Um, so, I think what, one of the things that I talked about or talk about a lot with my clients is how diversity inclusion is often kind of siloed or compartmentalized. So, organizations say, okay, you know, we're really pro diversity inclusion, and our, and our focus this year is on women in leadership, you know, let alone women in anywhere across the organization. Um, and then I am seeing, you know, things like because of the, the George Floyd um, case over in the States. You know, there's a lot more emphasis around Black Lives Matter movement and things like that. So it's very siloed and it's very compartmentalized. And, and in, I suppose in the, in, in the trade we call in, we, we refer to intersectionality. Now intersectionality is about understanding all of the different characteristics that we make up. So for example, you know, I'm disabled, male and gay. You know I can't just tick one box. But unfortunately, organizations do treat diversity and inclusion in a very kind of siloed way. So, okay, we're going to do women this year. Um, We're going to think about ethnicity next year. Then we're going to do LGBT. Then it's mindfulness. And we may eventually get around to to disability. Um, And actually, there's a really, really funny film on YouTube with the hashtag. If you just search the hashtag diverse-ish, there's a really funny film that kind of emphasizes emphasizes this point, uh, which is created by the Valuable 500 campaign, which is a way to try and get businesses to take disability more seriously, for example. And so I I work with my clients to really kind of get the conversation moving towards inclusion, Um, recognising that diversity actually goes beyond just the protected characteristics in the Equality Act. But actually, it's like an iceberg. Um, Above the waterline, you can see, uh, you know, you can see protected characteristics like somebody's ethnicity. Uh, physical disability gender that kind of thing but actually there's so much hidden underneath the water waterline. it could be somebody's lgbt status that you can't necessarily see but it could be whether somebody's introverted or extroverted uh, it could be what kind of educational background they had could could be what kind of family background they've got um, whether they're born outside the uk within the uk so all of these um characteristics make up our unique um uh, distinctiveness and diversity so in, short, in answer to your question, in short, we need to be shifting the conversation towards, uh, more towards inclusion than, um, uh, than say, on diversity. Um, so I've got a question here from Jen on Instagram. So Jen says, hi, Toby. As a business, we look for a candidate with the right technical background and experience. Gender, sexuality or race isn't considered as we just want the right person for the job. Whoever that may be, do you think that this is fair? How do you think we can better diversify our recruitment process? Okay, so we, we're coming up to like the last four minutes, and I think this is a really, really good um, sort of one, question. Um, you're right, Jen. You know, you when when you, particularly within technical jobs, I think it's quite. I'll share a story with you working in in technical roles at the BBC. It's one thing you know you're right that you know somebody's gender sexuality or race shouldn't be considered as part of you know the role because um you know you should be picking people that are uh you know technically able to to do the job above any sort of protected characteristic one of the best ways of doing it is kind of setting technical challenges so when I was at the bbc i actually piloted some software where we invited anybody and everybody who was interested in uh, working for us in a technical world to take a challenge. before? This is before we even received their CV. So we gave them a technical challenge and they submitted their entry to us anonymously. So the technical challenge might have been, for example, we're creating a new button for iPlayer and we wanted the candidate just to create the code that sat behind that button with a short test script to go with it. The hiring manager would then review that code and then decide if they were worth calling in for an interview. At that point, we would then release the CV to the hiring manager. What we saw is a significant increase in people from an ethnic minority background getting through to interview and women getting through to an interview as well, because we turned the recruitment process on its head, really. We looked at, um, you know, we got people to demonstrate that they had the skill to do the job. Before we started to delve into their backgrounds, and it had a significant impact. So, I would say, you know, some organisations do technical challenges at the end of the recruitment process. I would say, I would sort of say, um, you know, do it, you know, do it upfront at the beginning of the of the process. Thank you ever so much for uh, tuning into um, today's live session. Um, if you've got any questions, please do get in touch with QuickBooks support team on Facebook. Or myself on um, either LinkedIn, or you can get in contact with me through my website, which is www.milden.co.uk. Coming up on Ask the Expert tomorrow is Aaron Patrick. He's head of accounts at Boffix and a UK Intuit QuickBooks certified trainer. Aaron is also a director of Applecore Group, a small family empire, which ensures that he practices what he preaches to all his clients. Tune in tomorrow and ask Aaron for your burning questions. A reminder that if you need any more advice, join the official Intro at QuickBooks SMB community group on Facebook. Accountants and business experts are on hand 24-7. Thank you and take care.